welcome to the start of season three of the Winging It F1 podcast. We are at season three, which means one thing, the 2022 F1 season is basically started. We're well involved with pre-season now. We're into launch season. And that means we're here to tell you all about some new cars, which means amazingness. Uh, I'm Freddie Coates. I'm going to be leading us through the quagmire of show cars, technical stuff that we don't know about, and PR speak. And joining me along that quest is Nigel Chu, who's downstairs, and Adam Dickinson, who's in America. Hi, Adam, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm very excited to be back in the saddle for another season of Winging It, our third season, covering F1, and yeah, very excited. It feels like the kind of January, F1-less January, where there wasn't too much going on has passed. We're into February now, we're into car launches, into preparation for testing. And before we know it, it's going to be the first race of the season. So, yeah, very excited to get started, get chatting. And I speak to you because I've not actually spoken to either of you in a while. And you both live on top of each other, so you can speak all the time. But I cannot, so this is fun. How are you, yeah. Nigel? Oh, I'm... Very well, I, I didn't. I, didn't, I thought Freddie was going to ask me that. To be honest, he caught me out there. I, I did too, <laughs> but, to be honest. <laughs> You've got to be on your yeah, toes. Very, very excited to be back as well. We've taken a little break. Now we're back at it, season three, uh, and hopefully, uh, we are in for an exciting season. Well, there seems to be a lot of pointers towards that already. Shall we get started straight away then with the the first car that was launched, the Haas Formula One car? Last in 2021, first in launching their car in 2022. That's not been said by every other podcast who are covering Formula One at the moment. Definitely not. Well, Haas launched at the start of February with some digital renders of a early specification of their VF22 car to be driven by Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin for this season. They spent the entire 2021 season basically in, in limbo of design saying we're going to write off this year and focus completely on 2022. And first impressions from their car were that they've designed one and that they've focused a bit on 2022, but we know it's not going to be what we see. But Nigel, what's your first impressions from the VF22? I hope I've got the I name right. Looks, I think it looks fantastic. Uh, I think already that set the tone for what the other cars will kind of look like and I, th- I think they'll all look great I think already they're much better than the previous generation of F1 car uh, with the nose the slickness of it uh, that to me stands out a lot and it's just something I quite like so I think Haas yeah I, th- I think they set the tone for the rest of these car launches and I think they're quite clever as well by going first because it's the first real positive News to come from quite a long time, so I think it was a good move from them. Uh, and, and yeah, it was a good way to kick off the car launches, I think. Yeah, it's it felt like kind of the only uh thing they could do to grab the initiative and make kind of there be any interest around their team is that yes, they are the first team to launch. I mean, the first thing just kind of from, from all these car launches is immediately how old last year's cars look. Like I just went and had a look at last year's Haskar and it already just looks like, you know, a few years back. It's to me, it just seems to have stepped forward so much already. I think the car is bold. I'm not, 
I don't know if I'm a f- massive fan of it. Um, I think I was kind of more impressed aesthetically by the old one, but I think full marks for kind of going out there. We know it's not going to be the car that, you know, they ultimately start running and testing, but for now, I think it's very striking. Um, yeah, it's, it's just big. It's just big and big curves and yeah, it's, it's exciting for, F1 to kind of start this era with a bang, which it seems to have really done with Haas. I think it is slick. I think that's exactly what you two are going for. I think we're, we're talking aesthetically more than aerodynamically at the moment. But I kind of think the aerodynamics do add to the aesthetic in a really nice way. And the the, the design with the the kind of carryover from last year's livery with your alkali colours do, do really actually work quite nicely, if I'm honest, on this car. There are a few little tricks that I... And, um, and aerodynamic um, intricacies that I didn't expect, really. I thought we were going to get a show car from Haas in the way that we did from certain teams later down the line in this podcast. Um, but we've got some really interesting side pods that are really narrow. We've got a triangular nose box. We've got um, some little indents in the front wing that I really didn't expect at all. I thought that was a blocked-off development part. So from my perspective, from an aerodynamic side, there's some nice little nice little folds on there that hopefully will be developed in a, a very interesting way and give Haas, you know, a step up to the midfield. Do you guys think, um, do you think guys have any impression of any, of any hope for a, a performance level from Haas this year? Adam, I'll come to you first. Um, I, I, I think with the drivers they've got, I don't think that we can sit I mean, to be fair, Mick put together some, the good performances last season. I think it's really hard to say, obviously, before testing starts and we actually see see these cars. But I kind of think, um, I don't know, say just the, the kind of teams they're going to be going up against. I think they actually, like looking at the driver lines, they might be around there. I think compared to Williams, I don't think there's that much of a kind of drop. Um, obviously, it depends where Albon comes back. But you know, Williams with Alfa Romeo again. I think Bottas will be will be strong, but Joe, we don't know how well he's going to go. So I think kind of the cars that were at the back of the pack last season. I think there's I think there's a bit of a drop off in in drivers, but there's not kind of as as badly as there would have been maybe if they were going up against say Williams last season. So yeah, it's a uh, it's hard to say before before testing but I think the car Hopefully. the car will need to be competitive I don't think they can with the drivers they've got I don't think they're going to be kind of you know pulling pulling magic results out of the bag that often I think the car needs to be competitive for I don't think the drivers can outperform the car that much mm. well, just on, I was just going to say on the technical bit Freddie from what you Go said the reason they've got those intricacies is because of the bigger tyres, the wheel covers, and uh, there's no barge boards this year, which is a massive, massive mm. difference. So that means the airflow is going to be completely different from the front to the back of the car. So I think that's why we're seeing these different, I guess, tricks we can call them from the teams, and we're seeing different approaches as well. And Haas uh, have taken their approach, and other teams have taken something different. So that is why we've got these uh, newer... I guess developments which we haven't seen in F1 ever, uh, and I, I, I think it's great. It's great to see that the design teams get this freedom, even though they thought that originally that the rules they might be quite limited, but they've got this freedom mm. to mm. try these things out. It is quite a prescribed freedom, that is true. Simona Resta was saying some something along those lines. Who's the um, who's the Haas 
technical lead. And it is their first car they've designed from their Maranello design office, which means they're going to have some some obvious Ferrari traits. Obviously, we've got Ferrari coming up next year, uh, next year, next week, Ferrari, and hopefully next year, um, unless there's a, a really big change. But we've got Ferrari coming up later on in, in, in this week. And a lot of their engineers who had to be laid off because of budget caps now are working designing this Haas car. Um, so do you guys think there's going to be a really you know big kind of similarity to the Ferrari that we're going to see later down in the line? Oof. Well, that's rules, a complete thumb in the dark question, but yeah. Well, the rules said they're not allowed, are they? After the racing point Mercedes debacle, but well, we have we I have think, shared drive with listed parts this year now. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think a good. It wouldn't surprise me if fifty percent of the Haas is taken from what the Ferrari design will be. Like, that mm. wouldn't surprise me at all. Mm. There was there was one point that the race made that this has has or at least the render that they've shown has push rod suspension and they expect the Ferrari to have pull rods. So, but again, that could be something that changes by by the time these cars take the track. I think so. I think with it's one of the ways of getting around the the budget cap and yeah, I I can see there being that obviously within the rules, but I can I think there's more scope for that now and I can see that becoming a factor and that should you know it, it really should help. Has and that's you know as I say that's kind of where if they can get a car that is kind of competitive in you know the middle of the midfield I think that's where that'll help them be picking up points. Yeah, yeah. I know you've touched on the drivers already, Adam. So Nigel, let's move on to you for a quick word on uh, Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin, both entering our second year of Formula One, which is really where you know there are no excuses now. We always say this about your second year. Um, with a with an F1 driver, and some drivers can thrive, and some drivers can dive. So um, obviously, Mick had solid had a solid year last year in difficult situations. He was a bit more on the ragged edge later down the line. Had a few more crashes later on in the season than um, than the reputation for Mazepin let on. Um, where do you think he should set his sights this year? And do you think that um, Nikita Mazepin really needs to sort of really start performing, or do you think the money has him covered? I think the money's got him covered, quite frankly. I think it okay. doesn't matter how bad he performs. Unless he crashes literally every single weekend. Yeah. He doesn't. You know, he does, he, he does keep on the track. He's just well off the pace, unfortunately. And I expect that gap to be similar this year. I think there will still be that eight tenths, one second gap uh, in qualifying and in, during the race as well. But for Schumacher, I think if he can get his first points, which I believe... He will be. He will get that chance. I think that'll be a massive step. I think for any F1 driver, that's a massive accolade. Uh, so I think that he should be targeting that. If Cass had the couch, they should be closer to, to the midfield, really. So I think if Schumacher can maintain the gap difference which he had last year, and if he can show a bit of his racecraft, I guess because last year he wasn't able to fight anyone, if he can mm. get his elbow out when he can, then that's what he should target this year. I think, <clears throat> pardon me. Yeah, I think that's kind of the big thing is I I kind of see, I'd expect the gap to grow a bit, to be honest, as Mick develops more. And really, yeah, it's it's a big thing for him. And if he doesn't score points, if Haas don't score points, I think that'd be a massive failing this year. Yeah. I think they should be. Totally. Yeah, after kind of all of the messaging that's come out of the team, if they're not scoring points, and that's massive questions raised. But on Mazepin, I don't think it matters how how well or 
badly performs as, as, as long as his dad's performing well financially I think that's the uh, that's the the big big indicator of whether we'll stay in a team or not I think I think one thing I'll ask for a yes no for you guys to think on the feasibility of this Guan Yu Zhou has 2023 I know it's a long way down the line but we know he's a driver who comes with money we know that Alfa Romeo Sauber really like Teo Porcher do you, Give me a yes/no feasibility to that, like a sort of I don't know. Oh no, give it out of ten because I think that's a high possibility. Low possibility, very low. All right, Mr. Dickinson. Um, see, I kind of think Take like five. Now, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, honestly, I don't, don't want to kind of, I don't split the difference, but yeah, I do. I do kind of gen- genuinely think it's. I can see. I can see the situation where it was happen. Um, or I can see the kind of way that the Ducks would line up for that to happen. But equally, it it still surprised me. I think if it did happen, it's the best way I can put that. Um, and just finally on on Mick, did he get any pole positions in his championship winning year for F2? God, I, don't remember, I don't think he did. Oh, I think which he which, which, I mean... He might have started some, he probably did some reverse. I just holes. remember he won two feature races, Monza and Sochi. Yeah, but and he, I, he drove to them, was my memory yeah, as well. So I don't yeah. think he did based on that. Well, uh, that's that, that's something he could improve. Well, well I guess, yeah, he's, yeah. yeah, but I, th- I think also that's interesting in the if you know, so far no, we've only been really to. Yeah, so so far we've only been really able to tell off his qual- you know qualifying gap and race pace, but actually when, um, you know, obviously qualifying kind of wasn't his his forte in the season that got him to F one. Mm-hmm. So I think when it will be interesting to see how how he goes when he does get into kind of being able to fight other drivers, because in theory that should be kind of his his biggest strength coming out of F two. That's a mm-hmm. very good point to make. Um, moving on from some we seem to think secure drivers to um, one definite secure driver at a team. And that is the Red Bull, the Oracle Red Bull racing formula one team who, who didn't really necessarily have a car launch, but definitely had a team launch to their 2022 season. Obviously they have the reigning world drivers champion Max Verstappen on their books after their best season in six or seven years last year in 2021, where they, clinch the drivers championship not the constructors but no one seemed to care about that at the end of the day um they if you didn't notice um they've also got Sergio Perez on their books and they have a, a, a the same livery which I'm okay with because I really like it I think if we look back in 20 years time we'll go on about how that's one of the modern day classic liveries in the same way of the the chrome McLarens and the those kind of cars in my opinion but what's your overall impression on on what Red Bull have laid on the table, Nigel? Adam, <laughs> Nigel I think Adam, Red Bull Nigel. always looks good as well, Freddie. You know, I, yeah. I know, I know people complain. It always, it always looks the same every year, but I think it just always looks good in those colours. There's something about it that works. Uh, so on the livery, which is the only thing which we can comment on because they used a show car and stuck the Red Bull colours on it. Uh, I still think it looks good, and I'll be saying that over the next twenty-five years if they stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's this podcast <laughs> no, <laughs> season season twenty eight. Um, yeah, I I think I mean cue the Spider Man memes of all of them pointing at each other. But beyond that, I think it's kind of I didn't like it. I don't know. I think a few years ago they kind of passed the point where 
they'd done it enough seasons that it stopped being boring and started becoming iconic for me. Um, and especially now having that link between um, Verstappen and Vettel in terms of the the imagery of it, um, I guess even going back even further than that, just about I, yeah. There's there's kind of I not mean, um, there's I don't know there's it it looks fine. It's cool seeing the one back on the back on the grid, which yeah. I kind of forgot about until someone pointed it out in the in the comments. But yeah, I mean you know it looks fine. The Oracle goes well with the mm. with the car, I think, and. Yeah, that's kind of, I don't know, that seems kind of all that can be said about it for me. Yeah, I, I totally. You, we can't point to any aerodynamic flicks or tricks because Adrian Newey is keeping his cards close to his chest. He did do a few a few bits of B-roll and stuff like that when he said um, these are the biggest regulations since 1983 in Formula One. He's been working in F1 since around that time. And that's a, that's a hell of a statement to make. Um, him basically suggest saying uh, what these rules are, which is a move back to to um, ground effect, essentially, which was ruled out in the early 80s because the cars were getting too fast um, for the safety procedures they had back then. They, they decided, you know, the best way to do this is to peg the cars back. And when you look at the cars from the early 80s, you look at sort of an FW08 Williams, which was able, which they would take the front wing off at Monaco so they could get more downforce from the ground effect from the underside of the car rather than the front wing taking it away and putting out what. So that's that's where we're returning to with these kind of cars. Um do you guys do you guys think there's any possibility that Rebel won't be at the front this year? I think there's a possibility, yeah, but I think it's unlikely. I mean mm-hmm. I don't think even 2014, which uh, when Red Bull had a rubbish engine compared to Mercedes, Ricardo still won three races. Yeah, like, yeah, they won a race every year apart from one well, last time they didn't. Fifteen, they didn't win a race. Fifteen, yeah, yeah, fifteen won Ferrari. But they got podiums. Last. Yeah, so but even then, yeah, they got podiums. So I think mm. they will be towards the front. Whether they have the car to beat, and that's a totally different story. But they'll be there or there about so with the staff in the car as well. I mean, we saw in 2020 how he yeah. neck out the car, and that's when he really came on for me. Uh, so it should be all right, I think. Yeah, I think it's it's the same with me. The only the only way I can see them not is if there's a team that's like Mercedes, but even more dominant. Like that's kind of I think if there's any group of I think they'll be in the top top three or four. It's just kind of what the gap is from two, three, and four to number one. Yeah. I think that's that's the only question for me, but I think they'll be in the top three or four regardless. And and going from car number one to car number 11, um, Sergio Perez, his second season with Red Bull Racing. Um, I think really, to a lot of people's eyes, Sergio Perez kind of opened up the, the quality of the Sappen A and the, the intricacies and difficulties of Red Bull's, Red Bull cars of late to drive being B. Um, so... Do we think, in a similar vein to the previous questions about Schumacher and Mazepin, do we do we think there's a lot for um, Sergio Perez to do in his second season with Red Bull to keep that drive? I mean, it's, it's the first time Red Bull haven't had a three on either of their cars since 2013, which is a fun fact. Um, beyond that, yeah, it is. is it? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I, I think as long as he stays at the level he did, last season 
I think he'll be okay. It's a kind of weird one because it for a lot of that it depends on where the pressure is coming coming from below, namely Alpha Tauri. But I don't I don't really see anyone stepping into that car um kind of from the from the Red Bull Junior team next season anyway. And I don't really if you're looking for a kind of, you know, journeyman veteran, um, solid, reliable performer for your number two driver, I think Perez is the best out there. So yeah, I I think he just has to perform at the same level, really. It's I don't think there's that I think there's a lot less pressure on him going into this season. So as long as he kind of gels with the car, unless he has a kind of yes, Ricardo at McLaren mm-hmm. season, then I think he should be okay. Well, I think last year the consensus was the Red Bull was a lot easier easier to drive than the 2020 and 2019 cars, which Galsy and Albon struggled with. So just disrupt. Well, yeah, especially Albon. <laughs> if, if Red Bull build a car... better, that. <laughs> if Red Bull build a car which is difficult or edgy to drive, that is Perez's biggest problem, I think, because then he could fall into the same trap of Albon and Gasly, and then Red Bull will likely replace him, I think. So I think it's important that Perez, in, in particular, uh, gels with the car, like Adam says. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, it's going to be difficult to close the gap to Verstappen because Verstappen's only going to get better at his age. Whereas Perez, I think he's found the limit of what he can do in F1, really. So it's going to be quite difficult to improve on last year, personally, I think. I think Perez is saved by the fact that, like Adam, you said, there isn't really uh, an immediate successor to that seat. Um, Pierre Gasly clearly can't do anything else to win over Red Bull bosses. Um, unless he's clearly uh, performing ridiculously in that Alpha Tauri. And the only driver I can think that could maybe replace them would be if Alex Albon does a stunning job in the Williams, because they seem to absolutely love him at the top brass and Rebel, really love Alex. So that's the only driver I could think of to replace Sergio Perez from their perspective if I try and get in their heads, which is not a nice thing to do. Um, but that's all I can really... Consider, I think, really, it really, you know, there's a bit in Paris, but there's a bit in Red Bull, and you know, they've got their hands in hand together to see how the how the season goes. Um, it's it's really interesting you say that because I was about to ask if Albon has a kind of George Russell season at Williams, do you think there'd be any possibility of of rehabilitation? I I don't, I'm not gonna lie, but. Um, but yeah, the only other driver I can see possibly being there is Bottas. If if Perez does have a a season, you know, like Gasly or Albon, I think he'd Bottas is the driver that would be top of the list to replace him. But it it I think that's unlikely. I think that's only if Perez has an absolute stinker. But he's the he's the only person I can really think of. One of the main reasons, obviously, Rebel did such a um, frilly launch was to announce to us all that they now have a new title sponsor. Now we have Oracle Rebel Racing, which means that the small sponsor they had on the side of the car last year, Oracle, who was a lo- which were a last-minute deal before the start of the season, have really enjoyed their time being partnered with Rebel and have decided to throw a fair chunk of money at them. The rumoured deal is a five-year deal of $500 million, $100 million a year, which essentially covers two-thirds of their budget per year, um, which isn't exactly shabby. Um, 
What do you guys think of that? Fair play. Pretty decent going from Red Bull. Nigel. Yeah, I didn't expect it. I'll say that. I didn't expect Red Bull to advertise a sponsor. Uh, I mean, I don't know what, what there is to say about a sponsor. Really, it is a lot of money. You don't really need it, but it's going to be a bonus, I'm sure. Uh, it might help Max Verstappen yeah. uh, with his next contract at Red Bull if he stays. So, just a massive chunk of money, isn't it? <laughs> I, I thought it was um, uh, like the Matrix um, thing, and that they were partnering with the Matrix film, except they messed up because it came out like last or months ago, and then they just like screwed up the dates for that. But it is, and it is Oracle, the company, not the character. Um, yeah, it's, it's huge. It is absolutely huge. And I'd be interested. I think the winning the championship would have been absolutely huge in this. Like, obviously, I don't know, we're not kind of insiders to the business, but having that, being able to partner with the current world champions, that's got to be worth so much money when you're when you're weighing up something like this. So oh, yeah. I'd, be in, oh, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to see the, you know, parallel universe where um, the last few laps of Abu Dhabi don't happen and Red Bull don't win, and then whether this actually comes through or whether they stay kind of in the role they had last season as well. But, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's it's massive. They've done work in sport before. They've done sailing in the America Cup. Um, so yeah, it's kind of them expanding a bit and putting their name to one of you know the more successful sports teams over the last decade. I think from a bigger perspective, Ref One it suggests these big sponsors do think F One is in a healthy state, which is a good thing, mm. which is why they've chosen to do it. so. And we've not seen a deal sponsor deal this big for a very very long time. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if any other teams do something similar in, in the next few years. Perhaps Red Bull will be the only team to, to do this for, for the next few years. So I guess that's the most interesting point from it. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, guess I think the... tagging on to that, I think tagging on to that is that Red Bull have proved that um, to other companies that could potentially be sponsors, Oracle, I should say, have proved that they obviously feel from a toe in the water year then there's a lot more to gain from this. And if you're already an existing sponsor in Formula One, then you could look at that and go, well, we're doing this. But to be fair, they've thrown it at, thrown more in and got a lot out of it already from coverage. To be honest, Oracle, I think in the past week, have got more coverage than they did as a year as a sponsor um, from this deal, I think. In my opinion, I've seen more yeah. about it. Um, Probably right. <laughs> and um, when that becomes eyes across the season, that's going to be huge. So I think there could be an argument for a current lot of current sponsors to to go all in with it with a few things like I know Williams announced today they've extended a long term financial deal with the Financial Times newspaper. We could be seeing the Williams Financial Times F one team later down the line. <laughs> Do you think there's parallels with the Ineos deal with Mercedes? That's the only other one that I can think yeah. of of this kind of magnitude, and I think it'd be fair to pair those two together really that obviously there are oh. like differences in terms of Ineos yeah. buying the stake in Mercedes but I think mm. in terms of two absolutely mega companies that you know they're kind of I guess as brands they're not huge but companies and what they turn over absolutely you know in the big hitters and um yeah kind of buying into F1 I think that's that's huge for F1 and um yeah there's it it's it seems positive I think now you've raised that there's a good argument to put a pin in that and see later down the line if we have, if they get a stake in Red Bull Racing, I mean, it's no surprise that those two big companies, Oracle and Ineos, they've chosen 
the two best teams from last year because they want yes. to be part of those winning cars. They want their name yeah. or a title or race winning car. Mm. And yeah, I think just to just to round this off from my end, like that's that's where the cost cap just seems very significant in the now obviously they're partnering with the partnering with the teams, but it's not going to give them like such a huge advantage financially that it would have a few years ago. So mm. yeah, I think that's it's kind of the regulation is showing them well. It's very good for the um any any staff member will get, you know, much more comfortable bonus at the end of the year. Um, hopefully. Um but yeah, sponsorship aside, let's move on to um, a bit of a mouthful of a team who have also got a new title sponsor. They're all over the place. Um, when you think about the, I need to get this right, give me a second, the uh, Ramco, Aston Martin Aramco Cognizant F1 team who had their launch the other day as well. Um, they've got two title sponsors in Aramco and Cognizant, which, you know, we don't really talk much about. I just, you know, it's just a long name. But uh, the Aston Martin, I think, for me, is the most interesting car that has been launched of the 2022 season so far. I think it's safe to say that with the Rebel being a show car and the Haas being a very early onset specification of a render, it for me personally, I wasn't, you know, overwhelmed with the new 2022 regulations yet but then Aston Martin came out with with their car and you look at it and you think oh my goodness me what the hell's going on here there's so many different opportunities that were there that I didn't anticipate at all in my in my non not being a technical director for a Formula One team mind um, and I think it looks mean and I'm really really excited by that Aston Martin car Nigel. It's the most exciting car launch so far, I think. And I think from a technical point of view, again, the nose is higher than Haas, which surprises me because I would, I would have thought you want the nose to be low because of the ground effect, with ground effect going back into F1 this year. But the side pods are really fat, which probably means, again, they're trying to... They're, they're low. To they're low. Yeah, low and fat. So low. It's like to... two floors. Yes, they've got like a double floor, which is mm. really unusual so it's just I think that is the car I think that they are the team that's shown the most of the actual 2022 car and there's already visible differences uh, from the Aston Martin compared to the McLaren and the Haas mm, I, I agree with that I think especially if you look at kind of the overhead the bird's eye view where the Haas kind of starts to to um, kinch in is kind of at the air intake level really just past the cockpit whereas the Aston Martin is way way further back um in terms of where it starts to starts to come it's basically at the driver numbers in terms of length on the car so you know obviously whether it has to keep with that we don't know but it's I think for me the the Aston seems a car that we've seen so far that's closest to last season's car but as you said there are kind of extreme extreme differences still there and yeah I from what both of you said, I agree. It's it's so it's the most interesting car. I think it looks fantastic, and it's it's you know it's the thing with Aston Martin is whether they whether they can perform, whether the drivers can get the results on track. I think. See, I would say the opposite about what you're saying about similarity to last year. I'd say the Haas is way more similar when you look at the the tight really? zero concept at the back. That kind of and the way that kind of corresponds with the floor and the engine system makes me is very similar to sort of the traditional. 
sort of way we've seen that uh, they call it the coke bottle effect from the back of um of a formula one car for the past few years where i feel like the aston martin rather than sort of curving out and round and into a sort of triangular point at the back sort of goes straight down and out and flat in a in sort of an, an old indie car really sort of a 90s f1 car kind of way in my opinion i that's how i viewed it i, I just I think the way the way the has kind of like bows so much the way the the top top of the front ring just rises up so sharply and then kind of going further back it's that, you know almost a teardrop what, shape that's what the aston martin looked like on track today to be fair to them They've done a few shakedowns and the, the front wing has mm. been really high up off the ground. Yeah, and that's fair. a lot of that has been exaggerated in recent years by such aggressive rake concepts, meaning they point the front wing at the ground and it's millimeters away from the ground. Whereas it looks like from these cars that there isn't going to be so much of a dependence on rake as a concept, which means that mm. at least for the first few weeks of seeing these cars, we're going to be looking at the front wing thinking, God, that's, that's going to go into the sky. But actually, it's just because we're used to rake. <laughs> Yeah, the, the wings aren't going to go into the sky unless something goes wrong, obviously. Unless they crash. But, plane um, yes, that's true, actually. Um, I, I, <laughs> I guess I just, I think the old cars, I guess boxy is the word I used to describe them from what yeah, kind of looked mad. at them last season. And, and I think the Aston Martin just seems to have a bit more of that um, boxiness about it. But, um, yeah, it's not, you know, we, we can't, as we keep saying, it's it's when we see them go on track, and whether you know, it's it's also how how radical do you want to go? Is because there will be teams that kind of break off more than they can chew, or kind of go too far, and it doesn't work out. So yeah, yeah, it'll be a very interesting one to follow. Yeah, the big question with the double floor and everything else they have is: Are they taking a risk, or are other teams that we haven't seen yet are they going to follow what Aston Martin? Mm. That's the big question. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Will uh, for Will Ferrari, Red Bull, uh, not Red Bull, uh, well, Red Bull, well, Red Bull. Mercedes, yeah. uh, will they have similar concepts? And if they don't, and Aston Martin want to just say the only team to have this kind of concept, then, well, it can even make or break them, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't know where, where we're going to be concept-wise. We don't know if we're going to get seven or eight concepts, whether we're going to get two concepts, whether we're going to get... Uh, a giant killing concept like you did back in the day with a double diffuser, that kind of thing. We don't know. And that's really exciting from, mm. uh, from an F1 fan's pre-season perspective. Um, so who knows what we're going to get? I did think there'd be a few more similarities with the engine, the packaging with the McLaren that we'll get onto uh, shortly, but there aren't um, from close inspection. From Spoilers. The launch. Spo- yeah. Spoilers <laughs> if you haven't seen that, which is bizarre if you're listening to this. Um <laughs> But go, yeah. go and look at it now, and then by the time we get on to McLaren in a few minutes' time, then you'll know what we're talking about. You'll know everything about it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I this car, I think it looks fantastic. The aero looks fantastic. There's a lots of little I don't know, tricks, and there's a, there's probably a lot of sleight of hand in there anyway. Um, but they've run it as a shakedown spec, and you know it looks cool on track. And for some reason, if you listen to the sounds of some of the the fan footage and some of the Aston footage, it sounds like there's a kind of like turbo whine in there, which sounds really cool. So if you listen, if you, if you find the right video on Twitter, you can videos on Twitter, it sounds really cool. Um, so that's that's got me excited. 
um, because little things like that do get me excited. Um, yeah, the Mercedes engine always just sings our thought throughout the whole Harvard era. It just that it just always sounds the best to me. Yeah. That's why they always win. They've always got it. Not <laughs> firing in all cylinders, whereas you know the Honda engine sounds like it's is rattling apart. It's like, yeah, exactly. Four one oh one. The 2015 Honda engine honestly sounded like it was beating itself up. It was really not not a nice sound. Um, but anyway, we're getting... Yeah, into, so like, if, if, any, if any designers are listening to this, which I, I hope F1 designers aren't listening to a podcast called Winging It, but if they are, then that's, you know, that's how to build an engine. Um, I, I think for me... It's more of an aerodynamic podcast with wings. The, th- the thing with Aston Martin is drivers, like, I just, I still, I don't think this is one of the stronger partnerships on the grid. I think Aston Martin's biggest problem that was shown last year is the inconsistency, just like Adam said, because they don't maximise their potential every weekend. And if you compare mm. to, say, Alpine, Ocon and Alonso, that is just a much stronger lineup than Vettel and Stroll. And Vettel didn't really show up many signs of coming back to his old best, and Stroll hasn't really looked like a driver who is capable of leading a team. So... I think even if they do have a strong car, the driver lineup might let them down. And we're talking, you know, one or two temps per lap here, but that's a crucial margin, especially if the midfield is tight. So that could be a weakness for Aston Martin again. And it did cost them last year because they should have been a lot closer to Alpine and Alpine. I think, like I said, with Haas, their car needs to be there for their drivers to have any chance, it feels like. And it doesn't feel like that's the case with, say, Alpine. Yeah, and tra- traditionally, the Aston Martin team, if you go back through the years with Force India and, and really all the way back to Jordan, it's been a team that has really been able to galvanise itself in the sum of its parts and to do really well. Andrew Green, the technical director who designed this Aston Martin car, was one of the original 30 of Jordan back in the early 90s. So there's, you know, they're a team that knows how to, how to you know, get the most from it. And there's every chance that, they can do that. They've shown they can do that, but that you know they've openly admitted as the drivers that they've not had their best time of it of late. So hopefully, with a bit of a, a, a kick up the backside from a bit of excitement for the new year, they can they can be in a much better boat and be in a much better position to to help this team, this very exciting team, in my opinion, at the moment. I mean, obviously, there's a bit of recency bias to that, but hope help this team to, you know saw and who knows all all teams in f1 deserve to do well and it's kind of annoying that they don't but um you know it's about time that they got their act together to be honest um on a few things um any anything else you want to add to aston martin any any predictions where they'll end up do you think they could fall back go forward or are you just excited for what what they've shown so far I can see them winning a race and finishing seventh in the constructors. Like I can kind of see <laughs> it, 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 you know, like Nigel talks about consistency and maximizing points. I think that's where they should be going, but just with this lineup, it just feels like the kind of, it feels like a lineup that's suited to, you know, having a kind of mad performance at one race of the year and then struggling to get into Q3 or even Q2 for the rest of it. So um, yeah, I, I, that would be my only kind of... It, I mean, you know, it's not an exact prediction. I can see them winning a race this year, kind of, decently. Wow. I didn't expect that. Nigel? 
yeah, that will be quite incredible. I think I think it's going to be a difficult year for Aston Martin. They've had some management changes as well with uh, Otmar Zafmel leaving and then Mike Crack. I said that slowly for a reason. Uh, joining the team. What, so, what reason? What reason? <laughs> well, uh, so yeah, I think it could be a difficult year for Aston Martin. But... Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think they'll be near the top, but I just think they could pull a result out of the back. Sorry, Freddie. No, I'm kind of in between both of you because there's so many F1 races these days. Most teams have the opportunity in the chaos in the chaos to pull a result at some point, but they could also be down on the wayside based on recent performance. But they've had a kind of weird swing recently of good year, bad year, good year, bad year. If you look at like uh, yeah. sort of I don't know, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, there's kind of been great highs and some mediocrity. So they're, they're, they're due a, a great year this year. Um, but obviously now I've said that, that means it's not going to happen. Um, the even years, they're better at what we've established yes the even years um but a team that's been pretty good in all recent years is mclaren who are the fourth team to have launched their car which is not a good segue let's move on quickly to mclaren um they they did a whole big team launch the way it should be done they've got a racing dynasty with with mclaren formula e not me formula e extreme e team maybe formula e down the line McLaren Extreme E, McLaren IndyCar, McLaren Shadow, their, their esports team, and to, as the finale, the McLaren Formula One car, which is essentially a rebranded McLaren team once again, um, retaining Daniel Ricciardo, Lando Norris, and, you know, a car that, you know, very much you look at and go, yeah, um, yes, I think. That was kind of my reaction. The noise I kind of made when I saw it was a, ah, yeah. Not a, wow, not a, ooh, but a, ah. And, you know, that's the glory of podcast journalism for you there. Right, right there. Um, but, yeah, Adam, what sound did you make in reaction to the McLaren? Um, I think this sound. is, yeah, that, that is, yeah, <laughs> I think Ellie, Ellie Jane tweeted that basically, and that kind of sums up my uh, thoughts on it. I kind of it nailed it really. It's it's, I, it's like going to the golf is good, but I just think they could have done so much better than they did last season. I think, firstly, Freddie, the kind of the synergy of all of the teams coming, you know, coming together and being more under one brand is something you've been championing for a while. Um, yes. So yeah, it's kind of exciting for you, I guess. I've won. Yes, you have. You've won. You've won McLaren. Um, yeah. yeah, and I kind of I agree. It's not. I don't think it's it's amazing. I think it could look better on track. In fact, I think it will look better yes. on track, which is what what happened with the Williams last year. But I don't know. It's it's a golf which people wanted, but it's not it's the golf. Half golf it's, it's, it? it's not. It's not the golf people wanted, but um, yeah, it's 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 one. It's one of those. I think it, it doesn't look amazing, but the kind of more the more substantial thing and the more interesting talking points are the drivers. But I'll let Nigel talk about how the car looks first because I know he loves a pretty car or an ugly car, except he doesn't like them. He it's not an ugly car. I think it looks good. I think the livery yeah. looks good. Yeah, I think it looks okay. Yeah. Not as good as the Aston Martin, but it looks good. Mm. Yeah. The Aston Martin's a winner so far. 
I think there's, there's levels of the McLaren that they've actually gone for it a bit. Like they've, they've, they've incorporated design into the wheel covers. They've incorporated design into the DRS actuator. They've incorporated design into the halo. And they've actually gone for it with the Formula One car rather than to just packaging it. So they've, they've gone for it. And I respect that. And I like that. And I do agree with you, Adam. I think it will look better on track because a side-on view of an F1 car always looks bonkers. So on track, I think it will look better with helmets in it. But sorry, Nigel, I've hijacked you. That's, that's a no, really that's right. bad insult to the McLaren drivers. Oh, you mean race it up. Sorry. I was just going to say, perhaps interestingly, it's the first team that we've seen that have got the pull rod suspension rather than the push rod. Now, how big of a difference that makes, I'm not too sure. But, you know, it creates the, the airflow from, from, from the car be totally different. So, again, got a completely different concept. So... Yeah, I don't know what that means, but it's an interesting technical point. It's more of a traditional suspension, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. But who, who knows? Um, I guess it depends what they're trying to do with the airflow. With the the um the opposite style would be more to push the air sort of over the car. Yeah, because this the style yeah, under the car now. Well, to the really. middle, yeah, up to the floor. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, they want to send it to oh, the to the Venturi tunnels underneath the car a bit more, which is interesting. You'd think more would go for that, which is what you were saying earlier on, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's surprised me more teams haven't done that, actually. Uh, we'll, we'll see if more teams do. We will see, because, to be honest, no one tells the truth. And um, they all go on about the fact that, yeah, yeah, this is our car. It's like, nah, it's not your car. And that kind of stuff. I know I did just go on a whole thing about, yeah, Aston Martin being shut down ready, but McLaren have openly said, some of our car is real and some of our car isn't, but we don't know which. Um, you know, we we don't know either. Um, no. What well, all I will say is we've got our fourth different side pod concept, um, and we've got a, a, arguably our fourth different wing mirror concept. They've got some curvy wing mirrors, which is kind of weird. I don't think I've, I've seen that before. Um, but we're just point. I'm just pointing out little bits. You, you might be able to tell that we've recorded this just after the McLaren launch, so we haven't really been able to delve too deep into it. Apart from Nigel, who's obviously studied the suspension and great depth um but yeah obviously they've kept Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo Lando who has just signed a contract extension to 2025 um it seems to be as last year we were talking about it, there seems to be a competition to who had the longest contract in the F1 grid whether it was Leclerc or Ocon or Verstappen um but now it's it's Lando Norris all the way up until 2025 do we think he's right to put all his Formula One contract eggs in the McLaren basket. Uh, Adam, I'll come to you on this because I think Nigel's going to say no. Um, do you think <laughs> it is? Uh, do you think it is putting all his eggs in the basket? Because it'll still no, we'll have some clauses. Yeah, but also, like, I mean, how old is he now? Is he twenty-two. He's twenty-two. He's two months younger than me. Yeah. So. You know, I don't think four four years and he'll still, you know, I think he's got the pace. He'll still be 22. He, you know, he, he'll be kind of coming into the prime of his career, or I guess the traditional prime. So I I don't kind of see it as putting, it's, it's putting his eggs in the basket for the start of this design era and seeing how it plays out. And, you know, if, if McLaren are off the pace, then it could be four long years. But I don't think, I don't think they will be. But, um, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's kind of as as huge as that. He'll he'll have 
you know, options coming off the back of it if McLaren mm. haven't performed and it's not kind of shackling himself down for, for you know, the, the massive amount of time. I think anyway, maybe I'm mm. not. I was, I'm so surprised with the timing of it. I thought he would wait until the season starts to see where McLaren are, but as you guys well said, there are surely some release clauses in there to say if McLaren don't finish in the top five of the constructors, for, for example, then he can go elsewhere. Uh, it's definitely going to have a bit more money, probably. I think McLaren are the big winners uh, because I think Norris, I think we all think, was outstanding last year. And so yeah. if he can lead the team or lead the team with Ricardo, then McLaren are the winners because they're going to have him for another four years. So, good news for McLaren. Norris and McLaren is a great fit. I think the relationship works really well. It's been like the staff of that Red Bull. And if Norris can become the first McLaren World Champion since 2008, that'll be huge. Well, that'll be the moment of his career as well. So, that's possibly somebody he's got his eye on. And doing it as a Brit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, if you can do that, then that'll well, it'd be the highlight of his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, being world yeah. champion would be the highlight of his career. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would. Um, I, I think, um, I think McLaren do seem to have. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think, and I have faith that they've moved past the kind of really bad Alonso years. I think they are kind oh, of definitely pushing definitely. from that. And and just on on the kind of timing of the um, of the contract, realistically. I mean, unless there's kind of news about this that I've missed, it could have been signed any time in the off season, really. I think, yeah, yeah it's exactly. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it which makes, makes sense. The only, the only just did it last year, and mm. so, oh, yeah, Lando did. um on the sort of press conferences around that announcement. Lando did um, allude to the fact that. Um, Merck and Rebel had sniffed around to see his availability, to see his um, uh, reasons for staying at McLaren and whether he would be whether whether they would be able to coax him into a drive if necessary and later down the line. And I think really, again, Lando's probably gone and gone to McLaren and said, "Hey, look, these guys want me. Give me more money, and he can get more money." Because what he had last year was a contract extension; it wasn't a contract really kind of rewrite. Whereas this has been a bit more of a contract rewrite, and he's. Mm probably just managed to bag himself a lot more money, which, to be honest, his season last year has kind of earned him. So, really, there's probably a lot of financial impetus into this. And as he deserves, because he has been the driver in Formula 1 for, of 2021, 20, in my opinion. Him, Verstappen, Hamilton were the, the top three over the course of the whole season. And I think it's, it's, a, it's going to be a big year for for him this year to be able to continue that. And obviously McLaren have faith. Um, McLaren also have faith in Daniel Ricciardo. Um, but do we have faith in Daniel Ricciardo? Give us, give us your opinions. Mm. As much as I didn't last year, I do have faith in him. I just don't see how we can have another season like he did. We've got completely different regulations. He's had the winter break uh, to... You know, think about things and come back. So there's no excuses anymore. I thought there were, were any excuses last year. What is absolutely none this year to not perform? And he has to at least match Norris. So I think it'll be better whether he does match Norris. I, I think he will. I think overall he will. I, 
I'm very conflicted. I think it's just that he had so long last season and it kind of felt like there'd be the news stories about like, oh, he's not at one with the car or whatever. And he'd do interviews saying that and just, you know, but we're figuring it out. But it never got to the stage where they did figure it out and they had a long time last season to do that. I know it's different with, with racing compared to the off-season, but uh, I think, I mean, like you say, he, he should be better. It'd be really damning if he isn't, but... I'm not well, sure. If he doesn't, I've seen... then he might not be an F1 next year. If he hasn't mm. done a season like last year, he'll be. Oh, just... yeah. But I, I don't see him being at Norris's level, to be honest. I, you know, I, I don't. I hope I'm wrong, really, because I hope that, I mean, you know, Ricardo's one of the most likable drivers and McLaren, you know, I want them to do well as a team. But I don't know. I just can't see it. What do you think, Freddie? I'm, I'm leaning more towards your opinion, Nigel. I kind of feel like. There's no way he can have a season like this. And I feel like he's been an excellent driver for so long. There's no reason for him to not be good again, if that makes sense. He he showed very good peaks in 2021. He didn't, he obviously showed absolute dire lows. But you know, it it was there at points. And obviously, then that means McLaren will be able to know what works for Ricardo and be able to feed that into their set up positions and their, the growth of their, of their new concept car. And they, they that was possible within regulations, let alone with regulation changes. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for Daniel here, but if he doesn't live up to it, yeah, he's out. He's on, he's in, he's in the next car to Indianapolis, really, let's be honest. So you've got to really, it's, it's it's a long time since Daniel Ricciardo's had a make-or-break year, um, where his stock hasn't been high enough to carry him through for a bit. But you know, the stock will run out this year if if he doesn't um, perform. That's what I'm going to say for Daniel. I think really we're all in the same boat on that. Let's be honest. I think the reason the reason I'm optimistic is every single racing driver has at least one bad year. You know, even Hamilton in 2011, boy. Yes, into massive three races. Alonso in 2007. Yes, I know there was Spygate going on and fell out with the team and stuff. He still won races, to be fair. Yeah, he did. But no, exactly, exactly. He he, he just became double double world champion. That he didn't live up to the expectations. So even these great drivers have bad years. And Ricardo, other than last year, hasn't really underperformed. In F1, mm-hmm. I'd say, yes, 2018, you could argue in the second half, but I think I'm, I'm confident last year was his one bad season, and this year right. back to some kind of level. Mm. Quickly, oh, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Just to round off this, do you think McLaren will win a race this year? So surely McLaren will win one. <laughs> yeah, they've got more chance than Aston Martin, but I have no idea. I've no idea okay. if someone's going to take a charge. So I'm, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. Yeah. And hopefully it's Norris because Norris deserves to win one. Mm, yes, I agree. But yeah, well, that really is us coming to the end of our launch season part one, um, pre-season podcast series, season three, winging the F1 podcast collection bonanza. Um, we've got four launches coming up in the week to come. We've got Alpha Tauri on Monday, Valentine's Day. Um, we've got Williams on Tuesday, the 15th. Ferrari on Thursday, the 17th. And Mercedes on Friday, the 18th. We've got some big hitters coming now, boys. So 
of those four, who are you most excited to see be launched? Adam? Uh, in terms of aesthetics, I think Williams could have a stunner this year. In terms of general launch, uh, probably Mercedes. Um, mm-hmm. They're the biggest fishes with the biggest drivers. Yeah. Nigel? I think, I think Ferrari. I really think this could be Ferrari's year now. If they do show their 2022 car, uh, then I'm really interested to see what they've got up their sleeve. I suppose that means I'm left as well. It could be. I suppose that means I'm left with Alpha Tauri, so can't wait to see the new Alpha Tauri, guys. Oh, come on, Pierre. We love Yuki. Yeah. So, uh, in all seriousness, the Mercedes. But anyway, um, we'll be back next week to go through those cars and who knows, maybe there'll be some surprises in the F1 news sphere for us to jump on and claw apart with our little hyena attacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. Sorry. Um, oh, great. Hope, hope you enjoyed listening. Yeah, goodbye. <laughs> hope you enjoyed listening. Yeah. Bye, everyone. See you next, See week. You next week. Uh, we've been the Wigan F1 podcast. Goodbye.